As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew casting their net into the sea to catch fish. One very, 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 very cold winter evening when I was maybe nine years old, my dad came up with a brilliant idea to take my brother and me frost fishing. What's frost fishing, you may ask? Why, thank you. Anybody ever been frost fishing? Oh, BJ, you were there? Okay. (laughs) You just wanted to be there. We did not know either. We didn't know that frost fishing was a thing. We'd heard about ice fishing, but it was something different. This was frost fishing. My dad said, when it's this cold, and it was really cold, the ocean temperature drops below freezing. That is, the temperature of the water is below the freezing point of water. How can that be, you might ask? Why wouldn't the water just freeze? You're great. Well, there's two things. One, the saltiness of the ocean keeps it from freezing below the when it's below the freezing point for fresh water. And two, the motion of the waves keeps it churning and keeps it from freezing. All this my dad explained very carefully and at much greater length than what I've just said. I saw a couple of problems. I saw three problems with this proposed activity. First, I don't like fish. I don't like to eat fish. I've never liked... I realize this is a character flaw. I wish I liked fish. To this day, I do not like to eat fish. Second, I don't like fishing. I always feel so sorry. They look at you when you... Oh, man, they look at you with those eyes. It's awful. Third... Did I mention that it was cold? (laughs) Yeah, it was really, really, really cold. And when the ocean temperature is below freezing, isn't that a good time to stay out of the water? Still, my dad was so excited. We uh, donned four pairs of socks, put on waders, and headed down to um, Jones Beach. So, when the water is that cold... Did I explain this? Fish are cold-blooded. I don't think I told you that. Fish are cold-blooded, and they they slow down in their motion to the point where they get caught in the surf, and they get swept towards the shore. And you can wade out into the surf, or so my father told us, and we could just scoop them up with a net. Do you want to know what we caught when we went down to the beach? Nothing. (laughs) Pneumonia, I think. (laughs) This was not my happiest childhood memory, but I share it with you anyway. Still, it springs to mind when thinking about this gospel story about those four guys on the shore of the Sea of Galilee handling their nets as Jesus comes along the shore. And today, I want to talk about, especially about those nets, about two kinds of nets, metaphorical nets today. I want to talk about nets of oppression and nets of grace, but I don't want to talk about it yet. I'm just whetting your appetite for later. Peter and Andrew, as Jesus comes along, are casting out their non-metaphorical nets into the surf. That's how they would catch their fish and make their living. And evidently it worked for them 
much better than our frost fishing expedition worked for us. But Jesus comes along and he offers them instead a different occupation. He says, come along after me and I will make you become fishers of people. Fishers of people. And you won't need your net. You can leave your nets behind. I'll make you become fishers of people. And what do they say? Evidently, they don't say anything. But what do they do? Well, they get up, they leave their nets, they follow Jesus. Immediately, it says. They leave their nets and they follow Jesus. Next step, next up, James and John, who are the children of a guy named Zebedee. Yeah, such a cool name, Zebedee. Don't you want to have another kid or have your first kid and just so you can name it? Zebedee? Wouldn't that be awesome? Nobody names their kids Zebedee. That's such a mistake. Anyway, I digress. So these two siblings are mending their nets. Why are, there men, why are they mending their nets, do you think? Yeah. Why? Because they're torn. They have big holes in them. That's not so good for fishing. So they're mending their nets. Because nets get torn after a while, either they get old or they get snagged on a rock or they're trying to hold too many fish and they get big rips in them. And James and John then also leave their nets when Jesus invites them along for the ride. When he invites them along for this wild ride of discipleship, of calling people into the net of love and justice and reconciliation. They leave their nets because Jesus is offering them a different kind of net for a different kind of purpose. And instead of gathering fish, they're going to be gathering people. More on that in a minute. Because first, there's a different kind of net I want to talk about for a moment. A different kind of metaphorical net. And it's referenced in passing at the beginning of this story. In fact, in the first phrase of the story we read together today. It's mentioned so casually that I never noticed it before. And how many times have I read and preached about this passage? I'm embarrassed to think and say. But did you catch it? How does it start? You have it right in front of you. Now, after John was arrested. Thank you. You're there. That's interesting for me in a lot of ways. First of all, who is John? What John is this author talking about? That's one of my problems with the Bible. There are too many Johns. Vicki read about Jonah. And what do you think Jonah is the Hebrew form of? Yeah, good guess. <laughs> in the New Testament, I want you to know that after, out of 22 books in the New Testament, five are written by somebody named John, and it's not the same John. So this is, you know, kind of confusing. Look, even in our own life today, and in our own congregation, we have many Johns. Any Johns here today? We have, I've seen a John, yeah, John. Anybody, anyone else? Are other Johns new enough to stay home today out of safety? But there are a lot of Johns, and they're all great people. So which John are we talking about here in this passage, in this first chapter of the Gospel according to Mark? John the Baptist, beautiful. The teacher of Jesus. John the Baptist gets caught in a net. Because the things he does and the things he says make him unpopular with the people who hold power. They feel threatened by his popularity, by his message, by his rejection of the things that they think are very important. And so he gets himself arrested. He gets caught in the net. 
As you know, if you were here last Sunday or if you pay attention to the news last week, a friend of this congregation got caught in a kind of a net. Robbie Rogbeer is a, a leader in the immigrant rights movement and the head of the New Sanctuary Coalition, of which this congregation is a part. Robbie went in for a routine check-in with ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. He's done this regularly for years and years and years, but this time it was different. This time he was swept up and he was put in the back of an ambulance and to be taken to a nearby airport and to be flown to Miami and to be eventually deported to Trinidad, a place he left decades ago. Those of us who were down there to support Ravi and who tried to stop all this from happening quickly found ourselves also caught in a net, grabbed and handcuffed and thrown into a police van and taken to a police station and thrown into jail cells. I don't want to go into all that, but just say it gave me a small taste of what people, many people, go through every day. People who maybe aren't middle-aged, middle-class, white men wearing a clergy collar, as I did probably for the first time in my life that day. All of which are signs and symbols of a kind of protective privilege, right? John the Baptist gets swept up into that kind of net of oppression. He's snagged by some security detail of Herod Antipas, the puppet ruler of the Tetrarchy of Galilee, this kingdom of Galilee. And he'll eventually be killed by Herod, and his head famously served up on a platter. Yes, exactly. So it's no joke. It's serious stuff going on with John. And what does Jesus do? Where, what is, where does Jesus go? Does he go underground and play it safe? Yeah, thank you. No. First he goes to Galilee, the Tetrarchy ruled by Herod. Is that smart? Is that smart? Maybe not. Yeah. And does he go quietly? No. He goes proclaiming. He makes some noise. He's not just proclaiming in people's houses and in the different synagogues and the different villages. No, he's out on the streets in the dusty highways, in the byways. He's proclaiming in this very visible, very audible, very public kind of way. That's what he's doing. And what's he proclaiming? He's proclaiming a a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of tetrarchy, not ruled by some puppet king, but graced by God. A kingdom linking all different people, a kingdom of grace. And he's inviting all people, all people, to be part of that Beautiful, complicated kingdom of grace. He says, the kingdom of God has come near to you. That's just the statement of what is, right? That's just a fact. As Jesus sees it, that's just a fact. That's the indicative part of the message. But that indicative is paired with an imperative. This is what is, Jesus says. So there's something you need to do, says Jesus. First, you need to repent. Literally, you need to turn around, go in the opposite direction from where you're going. You need to learn to swim upstream, live in a a different way from the prevailing culture. Be like a salmon in spawning season to keep the fish analogy going. Second, besides turning around, repenting, you need to believe. You need to believe the good news. And how hard is that sometimes, to believe that there's good news? Now, believing sounds kind of simple until you think about it, because it's hard. Because believing the way Jesus asks us to believe, the way Jesus uses the idea of belief, isn't just mouthing some words or convincing yourself about something. 
It's about taking on a whole radical reorientation to how you think about things, how you think about life, how you view life, how you see, how you experience, and what you do. And so when he calls these four people to leave off fishing for fish and start fishing for people, he invites them into that radical reorientation to invite other people into that radical reorientation as well. He invites them to cast not nets of oppression, but nets of grace. He invites them to cast nets of love and justice to sweep people into the freedom of the kingdom of God, a kingdom that recognizes the relatedness of all people, the interdependence of all people, and the dependence of all of us on the grace of God. So today, I think that Jesus is calling all of us into that same reality, into that same kingdom, into that same kind of family and reality, and asking us to spread some good news so that everybody we know, everybody we run into, might hear that call of grace and feel that invitation of grace, the power of that invitation and call, calling us into that sweet gracious net of God and sweeping us into a life of love and justice and reconciliation. Let's pray together. God, keep us calling. Keep calling us and lead us to call others. Help us to rise and to fall in the spirit of your love. Help us to stand in your spirit of justice and to lie down in your spirit of peace. And lead us to resist everything that is not part of your way of love and justice and reconciliation. Amen.